Hey everybody, welcome to Between the Horns. It is Wednesday, November 14th. Miles Simmons here with Serena Morales from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We're actually sitting outside at the resort right now. Not a bad uh, sight. Not a bad sight. I mean, we're right by a lake. You know, there's like some waterfalls Mountains. off in the distance here. Like, you know, little wave pools or whatever. This is quite the pretty scene. Fountains. As you describe the scene as best as possible, Miles. I, I don't think I'm doing a very good job. But like, honestly, <laughs> like, as we look like over to our right or whatever, there are just mountains. and Snow-capped like, mountains. Snow-capped mountains. And it's really beautiful here. Um, and it's just really been an interesting week, I think, Serena. It's a nice place to be because of all the, the crazy right. that's gone on. Yes, I mean, to, to sort of recap where we are at this point, um, we all know by now that the Rams are playing their game against Kansas City Chiefs at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum instead of in uh, Mexico City, which, I mean, it, it's unfortunate in a lot of respects. I think Kevin Demoff put it really, really well um, the other day, yesterday, um, when he was saying, you know, we were excited as an organization about playing in Mexico City. Totally. But there's also this element of, you know, there definitely a level of excitement that this game is going to be played in Los Angeles. It's such a marquee game between two nine and one teams. And the guys are super excited to go home, like, and play yeah. again, again in front of LA fans. It was a home game anyway. I think that, yeah, you're totally right. Like. The players were excited to go and play in Mexico and try something new and, and be out there. And obviously, we're here in Colorado Springs to train leading up to that. So there right. was a lot of planning involved. Yes. However, a Monday night football game under the lights against, you know, a top team like the Chiefs. Like, this is going to be such an exciting game. And, like, I, it'll be cool to see all the buzz back home after, again, dealing with a really crazy week of both the fires and the shooting that took place near the practice facility in Thousand Oaks. Yeah, and that's why it, it's almost been a, maybe a blessing in disguise that we're out here yeah. this week, you know, maybe just to get away, away from that a little bit. I mean, there's still fires that were going up when we were leaving the facility on Monday. And, you know, obviously our thoughts are with everybody who is dealing with that. And, you know, we, we pray for everything that um, a successful outcome as much as it can be um, in these kinds of situations, a positive outcome, I guess I should say. But it, it's just been this really one thing right after another week of this, this, this. And I mean, you got a great win in that time over the Seattle Seahawks, 36-31 on Sunday. But I think just now being here and being in this setting, it's kind of like, every, it's allowed everybody, I think, to take sort of a step back and say, okay. Regroup. Yeah, we're going to be all right. And you know what? We're going to be able to go home and we're going to have this really great game in front of what should be a really raucous um, Los Angeles crowd. Yeah. And, and to note that uh, the Rams will be providing thousands of complimentary tickets to the first responders who have been bravely protecting, you know, L.A. throughout this whole week. So um, we're looking forward to having like a really great crowd and we're so thankful. So it's cool that the organization, the Rams are doing their best to like make sure that we look out for those who have been looking out for us Absolutely. All week. I think that's a great way of putting it. So um, for more uh, on the ticketing information and everything like that, you should definitely visit therams.com. That's going to have the most up-to-date information, the most accurate information, and that's where you want to be um, to get everything like that. So let's start talking a little bit of football, but we've got to start with something also that was very unfortunate that happened in that last game um, in the victory over Seattle where you had Cooper Cup go down. Uh with an ACL, a torn ACL, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And it's just very unfortunate because he is such a big part of that Los Angeles offense that 
I, it's sort of hard to kind of overstate what he meant, and it's a huge loss for the team. I mean, yeah, you, with having, and we talked about this, having, you know, Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods out there with Jared, like, the, I think I'd, you know, done the stats for five games, not including the last game they played in the Seahawks. They have a combined, like, 10 touchdowns. You know, Jared throws an average of 359 yards, like, when the three of them are on the field yeah. playing a full game. So it is a huge loss uh, losing Cooper Cup this, the rest of the season. But that being said, it'll be interesting how the team adjusts, right? Yeah. Um, and now, you know, how Josh Reynolds steps up into that position. Uh, do we see someone like Farrell Cooper come in? Um, you know, some of the mailbag questions that we took, you know, do we end up seeing a different personnel going out there on offense? So Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that's going to have to come from this. And I think one of the things that McVay said that is a little bit positive to come out of the situation is that Josh Reynolds, they feel like, is a starting caliber wide receiver. And we've seen him fill in. We've seen him come in and, and do some really good things, um, especially earlier on in the year when Cooper Cup had to come out with that knee injury that he had yeah, already. Two touchdown game you know, yes. in the Coliseum. Yeah. Exactly, and that's huge, and that's something that I think they can really build off of. But Cooper Cup is such a huge part of the offense yeah. because he does so much. You know, he's taking jet sweeps. He's blocking downfield really, really well and yes. blocking at the line of scrimmage really, really well, which is part of what allows the Rams to be in the personnel grouping that they're in all the time with one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. Because those wide receivers are not necessarily acting as sole, solely as wide receivers. Right, right, exactly. I mean, Todd Gurley was saying this last week, two weeks ago. I can't exactly remember, but he's like, you know, you don't often see wide receivers Receivers blocking yep. the way that these guys block. And Cooper Cup is such a huge part of that. And there's just such a comfort level that you can tell he and Jared Goff have. And it's not that he doesn't have that with like guys like Cooks and Woods. It's and very special though. It's it very, is. Yeah. It's really, really special. And so it's, it's a significant loss. I think the Rams are going to be okay because they've got so many different weapons on offense. But uh, to, it might to, be an adjustment period, yeah. knowing that he is out, right? Because the, before, when we, you know, Cooper Cup uh, was out, it was a concussion, and then he had that injury. But but he had recovered from the knee, his, his knee injury. But yes, now it's it was like we always had the assumption he was going to come back. Like it was never like we lost him for the season. Right now, this is. Obviously something that, you know, it does affect Jared and the offense. And actually the overall defense. So Marcus Peters be like, oh, good luck to, you know, my yeah. boy Cooper Cup. Like this is a significant loss to the team. Yeah, it is. And I thought, I thought that was one thing that was really nice just to see the response from all his teammates, you know, on Twitter, social media, Instagram, whatever it is. You know, they're posting pictures. They're saying, hey, guy, man, you're going to come back stronger than ever from this. And it, that, I think, it also shows the kind of connected team that this is. Because it's like you said, it wasn't just offensive guys. They're defensive yeah. guys that were posting those things too and like I know it's social media and you can say whatever you want about that but I think it still does mean something yeah they don't have to post anything so. exactly <laughs> but they're all posting exactly exactly but um one person that you mentioned was Farrell Cooper and Farrell Cooper is coming off of the injured reserve so at, at, as we record this right now on Wednesday he has not been taken uh, off uh, let me put it this way he has not been activated Active, to the yeah. 53 man roster which they have a little bit of time in order to do that. Um, after the person is designated to return, he's got some time to be able to practice before then they make that determination of whether they're going to be active on the roster or not. But I think it's only a matter of time before that will happen for Cooper. Um, Farrow Cooper, which is always, you know, the so hard thing. So many Coopers. <laughs> Farrow Cooper versus Cooper Cup. But when it comes to Farrow Cooper, I think he slots more probably as the backup to Cooper Cup. Because... 
because you were saying this because he's in the slot. Yes. Yeah. Because he's more of that slot guy, that slot, that inside type receiver than a Josh Reynolds does. And it's not that the Rams don't have interchangeable wide receivers. They always talk about this. It helps out uh, Robert Woods in that regard. He can play the position that he's used to playing and not having to fill in, you know, for Cooper Cup. Exactly that. And so that's why I think when we saw Josh Reynolds fill in a little bit the last time, it was more or less you have Robert Woods playing inside more of that Cooper Cup role and then Reynolds outside more of the usual um, Robert Woods role. I think if I think that's probably what they're going to keep doing. But then a lot of times we saw on those third downs, Nick Williams would come in and then he'd fill in on that spot as well. So there are different things that the Rams can do in order to make sure that they're in the best position possible for making plays on offense. And uh, yeah, and speaking of making plays on offense, using our tight ends more, it was one of your takeaways, like yeah. the fact that we have a lot of different options on offense, not just obviously losing Cooper Cup, but having, you know, our wideouts are super strong with with and without him. But now using, you know, both Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett, they both gave us touchdowns in that game against Seattle so you do see that we have a lot of options also bringing someone in like Malcolm Brown and maybe having two running backs out there at the same time yeah that was an interesting question we got that on mailbag you know that would might we see that kind of thing more different personnel groupings within the offense I mean if you watch the Rams this year you probably know because we mention it all the time that they are basically (laughs) exclusively in 11 11. personnel so one running back one tight end and then three wide receivers when I think the biggest question has always been, okay, well, why don't we see more of this? Why don't we see more of that? It's always been, okay, well, who do you take off the field in order to change that personnel grouping? Because all these guys are really, really good. Right. So if Cooper Cup is hurt, which now he is, and he's going to be out, which he is, that I think might change things a little bit so that maybe you do see a little bit more 12 personnel. Mm -hmm. Maybe you do see maybe some 21 personnel with both Malcolm Brown and Todd Gurley on the field, and that could give defenses some fits. Yeah, definitely. And obviously Sean McVay is going to match up depending on what team we're playing and how they're going to line up like defensively. So I think there is a – it'll be really interesting to see going forward – Maybe we're not necessarily in the standard 11 personnel uh, on offense. Yeah, and I I think that that's just really an interesting element of everything that's going to have to happen for this team going forward on offense. One thing that, like, I think is really interesting about the whole 11 personnel discussion, like, when we're talking to Seahawks coach uh, Pete Carroll last week on the conference call, I asked him, does it make it more difficult when, you know, you only see the same personnel grouping and anything can come from it? And he's like, well, I think it makes it almost a little bit easier because then you always know what's coming. So that's... I don't know. I don't know if that's really true, right? No, but because we use, like, I I was looking at the stats from last week, like, uh, Brandon Cooks had a rushing touchdown. Right. It's not like we're using our wideouts as wideouts, per se. They're blocking. They're, you know, we're getting rushing touchdowns. It's not like... We're being utilized necessarily in a standard 11 personnel. Right, exactly. So that's, I think it's, it's two, there are two different ways, schools of thought when thinking about that, right? Like, yes, you do know who's coming. Sure. But I think you don't necessarily know what's coming, right? right? How they, each player is going to be used. Exactly. Conceptually, that's what makes our offense so great because guys can interchange positions. They're playing more of concept versus exactly. you play this role, you play that role. Exactly. That's exactly it. So, I mean, like, you can say that all you want to be careful, but then the Rams <laughs> will score 36 points on you. So it's like, I mean, did Look you Look at really Miles turning the pot, stirring the I pot. Know, I just, I thought it was such a kind of a weird answer as we, like, as we get into our look back here uh, over the 30, uh, with the 36-31 victory over Seattle. I thought that was just a super <laughs> interesting element to what he said. And then, you know, to go out there and then the Rams perform the way they perform, like, 
I don't know, man. It just, it didn't seem like. You were like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because like, usually coaches do say like, oh, you know, like if you were only looking at one personnel grouping, it makes it difficult. And it's okay. You, you can take what the, the saints do and what Sean Payton does and really what Kansas city does too. Uh They use so many different personnel groupings that it's like, oh no, what am I looking at? Sure. But at the same, and that's how they kind of like mess with your mind. But in the same way, the Rams mess with your mind because they're only doing like, they've only got the same people out there all the time. Right. So it's, I don't know. But those three guys could do 10 different things. Right. Right. Exactly. Plus, you know, Todd Gurley. Oh, and the Todd Gurley factor. And and the Todd Gurley factor. Um, But like mentioning the tight ends and how they came through against Seattle that was huge because if there's one thing I think that you and I probably get questioned on the most it's like when are they going to get the tight ends more involved when are they going to get the tight ends more involved well I think we've really started to see it in the last few weeks and that's why Tyler Higby gets a touchdown Gerald Everett also gets a really nice touchdown early in that game yeah yeah the two-point conversion which was huge you know I mean it, it did it didn't Oh, yeah. No, well, no, it tied the game. Yeah, it tied in, the game. In, I was in, like, when, in, what was in that? In New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. That was um, huge. And so, yeah, I do think that, again, and Sean McVay had said this, it's like, it's just time. And, like, you know, obviously where he's just working things through. Like, you bring in someone like Brandon Cooks, who is new to our offense. Like, not it was so seamless. I think people forget, like, oh, yeah, that's right. This wasn't the same group as last right, year, right? Right, right? Adding a new element who's, uh, you know, pretty much the most significant guy that you would add to offense. But, you know, and I, I do think, you know, with the tight ends, and, and let's not forget, because I think we often, like, put him to the side, like, Robert Woods is having an incredible season, right? He has already topped his – Yeah, uh, his career high, 80, 832 yards receiving now. Yeah, four receptions for 89 yards in that game against the Seahawks. Yeah. Um, put him above his previous career high of 781 yards receiving. So. Yeah. And it, we're not even done with the season. No, not even close. <laughs> right now the Rams are on pace to have their first year with two guys over 1,000 yards receiving since 2006. Yep, Ter- Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's like, I think you're right. You know, we talk about Robert Woods all the time, but I don't think, I think he in some ways is one of the more underrated receivers in the 100%. league. 100%. Because it seems like every week he just makes a big play exactly when you need it. And yep. that's something that to me is really unique. Yeah, yeah. And I, and to have, again, um, and that's why what made the three of these guys so special and I think, again, why it hurts that we've lost Cooper Cup for the season. But, you know, having that consistency out of Robert Woods, I think we, we need to acknowledge more than not talk about. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. And that to me is the thing that is going to be really interesting going forward. So like if we see, you know, Gerald Everett, when he makes that touchdown catch or when he makes, Sean McVay also pointed this out earlier this week, you know, that big third down, I think it was third and one or third and three, whatever it was, but it was early in the second half. And the Rams really needed to keep a drive going. And, like, Everett just goes over the middle of the field, makes a really big-time catch, strong hands, catches the football over the middle, and then gets down and gets that first down. That is one of the significant plays in the game that might get overlooked because it's not a touchdown, because yes. it's not, you know, a really big play that goes down the field. setting us up. Exactly. Right. And that's something that when you have a guy like Gerald Everett who can make those kinds of plays over the middle, that's why you drafted him in the second round. That's what you really envision because that's what Jordan Reed was for Sean McVay's offense there in Washington. Yeah. And right. And so you said it, it's really about creating like or cr- having creative plays, right? Mm-hmm. Using everybody, using all five guys on offense to, you know, and, and that speaks 
a lot to Jared Goff, who we should talk about also, yeah. who's having an incredible season. Yes, yes, he is. Right now he's second in the league in passing yards, uh, second to only, you know, the guy that's coming up this week, yeah, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. Yeah, huh. yeah. Who he's only had, I was looking at Mahomes' stats, so, like, there's only two games this season where he's thrown – under 300 yards and that was the first game against the Chargers which he still had four passing touchdowns and uh and then against last week yeah. last week in Arizona where he had two but 249 and 256 but that's an incredible season yes no he's doing great and I think it's fair that we only acknowledge that but also I mean like when we talk about Jared Goff he's also having that same type of year you know he's having an MVP caliber season where he is averaging 313 yards per game through the air averaging two touchdown passes per game right he's only thrown six picks his his passer rating right now is at 113 which is very 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 high you know you think about guys like Aaron Rodgers they're they're career passer ratings are basically like 105 and that's incredible so I think right now what sort of gets lost is how good Jared Goff is playing yeah you're right and it probably gets lost because we have this guy called Tyler uh Todd Gurley who is doing so well and consistently giving us a touchdown every game right exactly it's unbelievable yeah um but he's doing but I think last game you saw some really big-time throws by Jared Goff, mm-hmm. basically in those rhythm and timings of the plays, like the first touchdown to Gerald Everett, for instance, where he looks off that defense where he's looking to his right at Todd Gurley, and then, boom, he fires across the middle, and there's Gerald Everett on that skinny post, and he just does a great job of catching the ball. But I think that starts with the way Jared Goff is able to manipulate the defense with his eyes and mm-hmm. do things like that. And then later on, I mean, like that that throw that event was – Cooper Cup's um, 100th career reception down the left sideline. Cup has to go up and get it, but, like, that's a really, really accurate throw. And so you see things like that out of Jared Goff week by week, and it just seems like he's really just stacking blocks and taking those steps into becoming that consistent quarterback. Yeah, and I would say, and, you know, you've been around the team longer than I have, but there is this, and we say it all the time, like, with Jared, for him to make those accurate throws, like the most precise throws, mm-hmm takes a lot of uh, sort of calm, cool, collected, and, and it's what I've seen from him all season. Yeah. Like, I really don't ever see his level of anxiousness. Like, the, there's never this moment of, like, oh, yeah, like, I saw him today in the cafeteria very mm. briefly um, here, and, and he was I was looking at Patrick Mahomes' stats, and he's like, yeah, he's good, isn't he? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, he is. That's very, very <laughs> Jared. Very Jared Goff answer. Yes. So, I mean, there is something, you know, to be said for Jared who, you know, is a leader on this team and has looked at when he's carrying himself the way he is. It definitely sets the tone for everybody else. I agree. And Sean McVay says it all the time that, you know, we know Sean McVay can get really, really <laughs> wired, you know, very fired up. And he always says, you know, that when I look at Jared Goff and I see this sense of calm, it's like, oh, okay. Like, maybe I should probably try to be more like that. It's a good symbiotic relationship. It right? is. Yeah. It works out really, really well for the both of them. Uh, did you get a chance to read, actually, that ESPN, the magazine article about him? Yet? About Jared? No, yeah. but I've seen the photos. I actually like the cover photo. Yes. I think it's like a, it's a, it's a manly photo of Jared, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, bro, like, I'm here. Got a little, little uh, you know, five o'clock shadow going, a little, a little scruff. Bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what was interesting what was interesting to me um, about that, and you should definitely check it out, I mean, all of you guys, if you haven't yet, um, but they were basically talking about, you know, how he's grown as a quarterback, and one of the elements that is really important to him right now is basically the way he sees the field, right? So 
even in the first year with Sean McVay, what the, basically the point was, was it's okay, you have different reads. And so sometimes you don't necessarily go high to low. You might go low to high. Like, okay, I'm going to get this thing to the check down maybe a little bit faster than I should. But it's only because, you know, you don't necessarily have all the tools in your arsenal because you don't have the experience of going against different teams, different defenses, et cetera, in the system. And then now what you see with Goff is that he's able to really see the field and he can play the percentages better. That's what he's saying. So he knows, like, when he lines up, he can see something and say, okay, that route's not going to be there, but I can still look over there and manipulate the defense and then say, okay, that's where I know my guy is going to be and where he's going to be open. So it's really interesting just how that maturation process of a quarterback, you and, know? And doesn't that affect the defenses who last year play against him and they're like, oh, wait a minute, when, when he looks this way, that doesn't mean he's going to throw this way exactly, now, right? Exactly, and that's where, you know, you see the high-level quarterbacking really start to come in because it's just like it's it makes it that much tougher to go against a guy when he is doing things like that. But I think you also, just as you're saying, you, you see the leadership qualities from him just when he's around you know and I think you've seen that for sure yeah absolutely and again like for the fact that he's still you know a pretty down-to-earth kind of guy who's you know having an MVP caliber season you know for him to carry himself the way that he does and joke and be very lighthearted is uh it's it's pretty cool to experience yeah I, I think it is um especially you know when you look at what he's doing and what Todd Gurley is doing at the same time ridiculous it is and Todd had kind of a quiet 120 yards rushing. <laughs> quiet. Is there is there such a thing? And it really was, right? Because Jared had such a great game and making those throws, like it was actually incredible. That right. And 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 again, like we, you know, a lot of uh, fans will send in their questions and be like, "What? Well, what about the tight ends? We're not using our tight ends, so now we've got two touchdowns, you know, each from our tight ends, and all of a sudden Todd Gurley has 120 yards, and it was quiet. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. But I think it was kind of quiet because it was like, okay, he didn't have the, the big breakaway run, you sure, know? Sure. So his longest run of the day was 17 yards, but he still only took 16 carries to get to 120. I mm. never worry about his yardage because I'm like, dude could get the ball in the red zone and score every time. So his he could have 20 yards and have two, three touchdowns True. in a We've game. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm never really concerned about Todd's, like, I mean, for all the fantasy, you know, guys who, you know, drafted him, like, that's something. Well, they're happy with the touchdowns, they're probably. Total, right? Yeah. But I'm like, everyone's like, oh, man, you think I'll have another 100-yard game? I'm like, dude, he's going to score. Like, who, who cares? <laughs> it's true. And, like, that's some, one of the things I think that um, Sean McVay talks about, you know, where sometimes the numbers can be deceiving, right? The, the thing that he always talks about the most is you want to have an efficient offense. So whether that means you're running the ball effectively down the field or you're throwing it, it doesn't matter. No. The only thing that matters is, okay, how many yards are you getting per play? Yes. How many third down conversions are you getting in the game? And so those are the things that tell talk about your offensive efficiency and they translate into points as well. So it's interesting in that way, yeah. And they're so... Uh, selfless like even you know I go back to the Green Bay game which was so close Mm -hmm. and Todd Gurley not running in for that touchdown like running the clock out like I don't need the extra touchdown like all I need is to like not get the ball into Aaron Rodgers hands so that he can throw some crazy Hail Mary right like we just want (laughs) to keep the ball out of you know guys like Aaron Rodgers and and you know coming up Patrick Mahomes' hands right like we don't want them having the ball so like there is a very selfless offense that we've experienced this season. Do you you like the name for that situation? The Rolex? 
That's good. The time is more that's important right. than the points. Awesome. Yep. That's yeah. That's an, that's a nice little Sean McVeighism. That's good. There's so many of those ha- different shout things. Shout out to Halle Berry. Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't meant to talk about that with golf. Yeah. How, how like okay. Did you know that the Halle Berry thing wasn't audible? Because you're closer to everything than I am when yeah. the field is going on. Uh, I, I, I knew that I, I heard a Halle Berry, but, yeah. yeah, that's all I knew. I didn't know what they were running or anything. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And just the fact that Jared, if you guys didn't see his tweet, he said, oh, yeah, this is my favorite one. Yeah, my favorite play ever. Ever. That's, yeah. I think, probably his, like, highest retweeted slash favorited tweet that he's Shout ever put out there. for getting on his Twitter game. That's yeah. good. Yeah, well, everybody basically clowned him for it. Whatever, but that's fine. Which they should have. And then Sean McVay on his Monday press conference was like, yeah, it's my one of my favorite plays, too, Hallie. <laughs> yeah. It's my really awful Sean McVay impression it, that I hope he never, ever hears. So, <laughs> he, <laughs> he does on. actually listen to a lot of our stuff, so yeah. he watches all the pressers. Yeah. Oh. Probably read some of your. Uh... Let's edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> at least he knows who we are, right? Yes. But like to get back to to Gurley though, that was his fifth game with over 100 yards rushing, and so right now, I mean, he's leading the league in so many different categories. Points. Yes. <laughs> Points. Uh, rushing yards, rushing attempts, rushing touchdowns, yards from scrimmage, total touches, total touchdowns. Like. Does it's... he have like 108 points? <laughs> Yes, I think that's actually right. Uh, yeah, he's leading the league, 108 points. At one point he had more points than the Bills had. I think he still does. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because, like, I, which is kind of ridiculous. Although Matt Barkley, shout out to him, I guess, you know, USC guy. Sure. Doing, doing the do last week for the sure. Bills against uh, the Jets. But when you look at Gurley's season, I think it's almost hard to say that he is not one of the top three most valuable players in the league. Like, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who we'll talk about more in a minute, he obviously, I think, if we're going to call this like a quarterback award, then yes, Patrick Mahomes is doing what he's doing, and he's been better at it basically than anybody else in this league, right? Yeah. But if you look at what Todd Gurley's doing, I think when you are leading the league in carries and you're also still getting five yards per carry there's something to be said for that because that's unusual in this day and age in the nfl it's insane and again if you put him on any other team where he needs to be more heavily relied upon one it could be like imagine the numbers he's putting up but also right it's the fact that we have such a strong offense overall that he it allows him to not be double teamed all the time right because it's like well who do I actually have to cover right Right. on defense you're trying to figure out is it Brandon Cooks is it Robert Woods is it one of the tight ends is it going to be Todd Gurley so I actually think this is a perfect place because some guys are like oh Todd Gurley can't score as many touchdowns I'm like no man because there are so many other things to worry about that he has to he's getting and open right know. no and that that's that's the thing because when you look at the way defenses are trying to stop the Rams they basically have to use their nickel packages the entire time because the Rams are always in 11 personnel so what that does is it allows the Rams to maybe spread the field out a little bit more and then give Gurley those running lanes and because Gurley is such an incredible run threat when you have the Rams go under center they almost always when they're running a passing play do a play action fake and what it does is it holds the pe- the defenders on the second level so that your guys like Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods can get behind there and yep. get into that little space that they've mm-hmm. always got between the second and third level, and boom, Jared Goff throws a completion. Exactly. It's the way this offense works, it's like a machine, and it is so interesting to see week in and week out. Yeah, and Gurley can also 
catch the ball. Yes. <laughs> so. Like he did in the last game. He yeah. had a couple screens that went for big yardage. And mm-hmm. so that's why he got 40 yards receiving to give him that 160 yards from scrimmage, which, again, like when you're talking about Gurley, he's gone over 150 yards from scrimmage in the majority of the Rams games this season. That's pretty unheard of. So, I don't know, man. Do you think he's the MVP? Would you call him the MVP or what? At this point, absolutely. Yeah. I just think the way the, the um, right your most valuable player, like the what he has done for our offense to give us options to, to, again. Like if everyone's going to cover Todd Gurley, then that's fine. You know, Jared Goff has no problem throwing the ball to any of the other wide receivers out there or tight ends. So I do think that, and I, I think with our team specifically, because we put padding on our on offense, the defense has time to adjust because we've seen this a lot in games, right? And there's the conversation of our defense, but and, and we can get to that, but no. it. We see our defense always adjust at halftime because Wade Phillips obviously can, you know, see things and then make, you know, changes. And I think because our offense puts up so many points to give that padding, the defense has the time to be like, okay, we're going to stop him in the fourth quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, goes to Todd Gurley's, you know, MVP caliber season. Yeah, no, I agree. The The way the Rams score points definitely, definitely, definitely <laughs> helps the defense. I mean, especially with the way things have gone in the last couple of weeks as we kind of go into the deep dive and take a look at the defense. Like, 273 rushing yards is not good. Like, you, you can't. I saw that on the Jumbotron. I was like, yeah. okay. You can't, like, often if you give up that many yards rushing, you're going to lose. The Rams were able to overcome that through, you know, a variety of ways. And partially it was because the Seahawks really weren't passing that much, but they were still getting those chunk yardage plays through the ground. The Rams have got to fix that. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to be able to play more gap sound, and we haven't necessarily had the chance to talk to Wade Phillips this week yet, but you you have to be able to play better as a run defense because otherwise you're going to be you're going to get gashed. And especially with this team in Kansas City, they've got different guys that can wear you out in terms of, you know, Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, Spencer Ware. They've got a bunch of guys that can do that. So Yes, looking at the last game, you know that if you have one takeaway on defense, you've got to shore up that run defense. Yeah, and I would say, too, especially because someone like Patrick Mahomes, like, you know, while Patrick Mahomes can will throw anywhere, like, he's also scrambling back there. It's not like it's a calm – like, he's finding – the time it's he's buying it himself right right and so when you're getting pressure like it's really about our edge rushers right like and seeing um like samson like get in there like because i mean he, and he's making tackles but he's not completing them like he's getting his hand on yeah. guys but yeah. he's not necessarily no, he's taking not them down, down. Yeah. and so but that's those are the tweaks that need to be made but i don't necessarily think that their problems per se it's just like hey you know what you need to do right and I think that's kind of what the issue is right you have to be able to execute what's been called on defense and I think we've seen the Rams do that and it's not like the Seahawks are a poor rushing team we actually we know that they're great since week three they've led the league in rushing they've rushed for 150 yards in each of their last six games now so That's their identity. That's what they want to do. But at the same time, there are definitely things that you've got to be able to do to just say, okay, we can't allow this to happen, especially when their starting running back and their starting right guard aren't playing. That is an issue, and it's going to continue to be one until the Rams prove that they can stop it. Yeah. Do you think that at least we have some, like, 
extra um, lung capacity going into this game now that we're training in Colorado Springs and then going back to LA like there's got to there's going to be something to be said like I'm like oh we're gonna have some good good air in our lungs you would hope so <laughs> I don't know do you feel like you're adjusting to the altitude okay up here when I go to the gym two days in a row and I'm out of breath I sure do <laughs> that was weird like I went for a run yesterday and I was like why am I so tired like I've been doing this for so five shit. minutes and then it's like Oh, yeah. Like, and it's not, I am not out of shape. I resent that implication. <laughs> I'm not. Did you see hear However, that under my breath? The, <laughs> like you're out of but shape. I, no, I, I think that, yeah, the Rams should be able to do that. And that should be able to help them combat the speed in terms of stopping the run. Um, but also last week in that game, you saw Aaron Donald break a record, which is a long-standing record from yeah. our friend DeMarco Farr. He's not here to He's not here today, so I cannot <laughs> razz him, but I will, trust me. But Aaron Donald, you know, went over that 11-and-a-half sack mark for a defensive tackle um, for, a for, a, for a single season. Yeah. And right now he is leading the league with 12-and-a-half sacks, Same. which is ridiculous for a season, really, out of an interior rusher. Right, we, but, still, got, we still have games left. Yes, Yes, there are a lot of games left, and he's still out there, and he's still really having the best season of his life. Yeah, I mean, he just really likes the backfield. Yes. <laughs> like, he just knows it well. And Loves we're it. hoping that we, we see him find it again uh, during Monday Night Football against the Chiefs. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you see him, because you, I mean, you know this, like you have not necessarily been around him as much. What stands out to you, like, when you see him on the field and when he plays? Well, because it's, it's a drastic comparison when I see him in the locker room where he's a quiet, you know, well-spoken, nice guy. Yeah. And when you see him on the field where he is, I mean, he is a beast. Like, he looks like the Incredible Hulk coming at you, which I'm so grateful that I'm. he's not coming at me. And he's going after quarterbacks. Yes. Just, I mean, he, just the way that he is so fast. I mean, you see him. I mean, he's almost had... You know, in some of the games where, you know, he didn't have a sack in a game, like, I mean, he was so close to getting there. It was just like he was right on the edge of getting it. And, he, yeah. you know, obviously it's been a little more difficult to play defense these days because of penalties and things like that and these calls and, you know, changes to the rules. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible to see with my eyes having, again, Jared and Todd and um, and Aaron on a team yeah. where I'm just like this is a, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, right now Donald is leading the league both with 12 and a half sacks and 16 tackles for That's loss. Insane. Yes. Yeah. So 16 tackles for loss is already one more than he had last year when he was the AP Defensive Player of the Year. That's crazy. So that kind of tells you I think right there where he is in terms of his season. So he's good. <laughs> I mean I don't know if I would call him good. <laughs> Right. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty he's pretty freaking great. Um, but I think with him and now also with Dante Fowler, so you have two guys and plus Sue and Brockers and John Franklin Myers has gotten in there too, but you traded for Dante Fowler to be an edge rusher. Yes. And I think we finally not finally, I shouldn't say that because it's been two games, but we really saw that in last week's game where he comes around the corner Huge. off the edge on the right, Huge. gets that ball out from Russell Wilson, and then, you know, they recover it. Set it up. Sets up. Yeah, sets up the Brandon Cooks touchdown. I think that was an impressive play, especially considering what had already gone on in that game for yeah. him. Yeah, it, it was a high emotion game, to say the least. Yes. It was a physical game, which yes. we see every time we play the Seahawks, yes. it seems. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was great to see a new face on defense make a huge critical play for us to really – solidify that win that we you know and get that touchdown which 
gave us a little more comfort towards yeah. the end of the game. Um, and, and to see, you know, Aaron have an amazing game because, I mean, he, he is incredible against Russell Wilson. Those yes. two should be best friends with the way that they Ten see each other. Ten and a half sacks for Aaron Donald against Russell Wilson. Most uh-huh. he's had in his career. Yeah, and then anybody. to have Dante Fowler come in and make that huge play on offense, it's just like he was obviously a great add. And, and again, and you know this, the locker room as a whole is so healthy and, and they work so well together that adding Dante – uh, I think has been a great addition to the yeah, team. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that they've embraced him. Um, and you know, the the thing about that that play in particular, where Fowler is able to get a big takeaway, is that what happened earlier in the game, right? Where he ha- he draws the unsportsmanlike conduct Penalties. penalty, apparently because he used the word terrible in about a call when he was speaking to a referee while coming off the field. I don't know if that's the only word he said or not, but that's what he told the media that he said, and that's what got him flagged. But I'm never using the word terrible. <laughs> yes, apparently don't use that with the referees. But, you know, when you commit that foul, especially on a third down play where the, it was an incomplete pass, you're coming off the field, and then you get that, and then they get back on the field, and then a couple plays later he throws a touchdown to Tyler Lockett in the end zone. That can sometimes take guys out of their mental headspace. You yes. know what I mean? And so for him to be able to stick with it, to to be able to then say, all right, I, I know I need to make up for that. I know I need to make a play and then go out and execute that. I, I thought that was nice. Doesn't Sean McVay always say it's how you respond? Yes. That's what, like, and so we saw this perfect response from Fowler, who obviously had cost us a touchdown, basically, but also got us back a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so that's one of the things that I think – McVay was the most displeased about from the game, and it's something he really said he bothered him, you know, in that post-game press conference was the penalties, was basically the way he put it was, if teams are going to try to get us out of our rhythm and try to make us respond, we have to do a better job of, you know, not doing that. Yeah. And he said that it starts with me, and he always does that, but he said, you know, I have to do a better job with the way I respond to certain things. And so... The Rams basically cannot have those 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, those unnecessary roughness penalties. Those are the things you can always control, and those are the things you can't do going forward. Right, it's all the outliers. And you, you, we've heard you know, Aaron Cromer say this because you know, Roger Saffel got a little excited in one of the games before. And yeah. so like, but he, they, they also draft guys who have a very calm presence. And so they don't usually, I mean, you know, you don't really see our players getting too excited or riled up in games. And so one, I mean, it's cool because you're seeing these guys with passion out there and they care. And like the fact that, you know, we have a nine and one season and they're not comfortable and they're getting excited versus comfortable, I think is a great thing to see out of our our team at this point in the season. But I also think, yeah, I mean, Sean McVay sets the tone like we we can't just give away these extra yards because they're going to cost us. And our games have been pretty close for the pretty outside of the uh, 49er game. I mean, especially in the last few weeks. Yeah, these things like we the padding is is can be costly just from a penalty and so yeah I think Sean McVay saying that as like this cannot happen is good because it's going to set that tone moving forward right and that's something that I definitely think they're going to be working on this week just making sure that you have that same kind of even to even keel demeanor and temperament going forward and things happen in division rivalry games especially between the Seahawks and the Rams I mean these guys basically kind of pretty much been the same kind of personnel since 
like, I don't know, 2012. I mean, you've got the same core group of guys that have kind of come and been around, especially yeah. for the Seahawks. And so, I mean, there are guys like Roger Saffold who've been playing against the Seahawks for years. You know, Michael Brockers, totally. Aaron Donald, all these guys, they, they know exactly what they're getting with the Seahawks. And so that's why I think you get more or less those interpersonal clashes. Sure. And you're probably not going to see that as much with Kansas City, who's a team that you only see once every four years. Totally. So that's something I think that they can work on um, in, in going forward. But before we turn it to our look ahead, let's talk about Marcus Peters because there's a stat that you picked up today that I, I think is really interesting and that I want you to share with the audience yeah. here. So we talk about Marcus Peters and, and we the P fans have kind of put blame on him and how our secondary is letting points be scored because of someone like MP who's not covering the field well. But um, thanks to Sarah Bailey who works in the stats group um, here with the Rams, he is playing 93% on the right side of the field. Last year when he was with the Chiefs, he pretty much split 50-50 in deep formation. So, like, he is not playing his his comfort zone because of losing Akib to leave. Right. So when you saw, I mean, if you think about just those games before um, Akib was injured, our secondary was sound. Like we were playing really well. And so then when Marcus Peters loses his his buddy, right? right? Yeah. Um, you know, he's got to adjust. And and so I do think, like, I mean, just looking at that, 93% of the time he's playing on the right when you're looking over his, his left shoulder, which is not comfortable for him if if, if he's doing that last year and then now going 50-50, you're definitely adjusting. He's a third-year player. It's not like he's, you know, played a gajillion years to be able to have this. So, yeah, going from 93% on the right to now pretty much splitting 50-50 and filling in for a key has made such a significant difference. So when we go and, and make these critical marks on Marcus Peters like keep that in mind moving forward and, and keep it in mind when when Akeem comes back because he'll be able to be in a more comfortable position then yeah I, I think that's important to know just about Marcus Peters you know he's not this is still his first year in Wade Phillips system and totally. there are, I think I don't want to call it growing pains but like there are things that both he and Wade Phillips have to be able to work out mm -hmm. I mean Wade Phillips talked about this last week you know when I he said when I give this when, when you have I should say um, Marcus Peters on Michael Thomas in a third and seven situation. That's their best receiver, you know, and it's one-on-one -on -one coverage and it's a, you know, it's a three-point game and everything like that. And he's covered one-on-one. -on -one. That's on the coach. Right. That's you, coaching. Sending, he was like, I needed to support him. Right. Right. So that's that. However, you know, you can still say, and Marcus Peters did say, when that call comes in, I have to be better. I have to be able to play the defense. So there's a culture of accountability, I think, that everybody has here with the Los Angeles Rams, and that's good to see. You also, I think, saw last week Marcus Peters play better. He did play a lot better. You yeah. didn't see guys just get far away behind him, and that was really key down the stretch. And when the, the Seahawks had a chance to get back in that game um, because, or basically go down the field and win the game um, after the Rams could not get a first down um, on offense. He's not getting beat. Right. Yeah. You know, they're trying. They, Russell Wilson's trying to throw it really deep, and Marcus Peters is not letting anybody get behind him. Yep. That's obviously the coaching point in An a situation like that. Absolutely. But it's still like, okay, you're like that's what has to happen, and it did happen. So that's why, again, that's like why you brought Marcus Peters here in the first place, right? So... If you're seeing these things happen, there's reason to be encouraged going forward, especially right. when Aqib Tlaib comes back after that bye week. He's not going to have to 
split 50-50 because, again, you're using your best cornerback to cover the best wideouts on the other team, which would be Marcus Peters. But then again, if he's not comfortable in that position, then obviously we're going to see the things that we've seen. And again, he's taking ownership of it. Wade Phillips is taking ownership of it. That's what we want to see out of this yeah. team in general. Um, and again, Akib, you know, hopefully looking to return after the bye week, or so after our, our little time off. Hoping to see Akib get back on the field. Yeah, and that that would definitely be huge. So Akib Talib is really has always been thought of as one of the two players to come back from the injured reserve list, um, and now we know that Farrow Cooper will be the other. So I think having those two guys back in this situation is going to be pretty key going forward as the Rams get down the stretch, especially because you know. We have talked about JoJo Natson, and he's having a really nice season, averaging over 14 yards on per punt return. Blake Countess has done a really mm-hmm. nice job um, fielding those kicks and getting back there. But I think sometimes we forget that Farrow Cooper is an all-pro. Yeah. And he really was the best returner in the league during the 2017 season, what which is why. Did you say 20 yards uh, for each uh, return? He had a return of over 20, uh, a punt return, I should say, of over 20 yards, I think six of last year's game. It's insane. And he only started returning punts in week six. Insane. So that's really, really, really good. And yeah. it sets up the offense all the time for what they can do and score more points. So I think having Farrow Cooper back is huge, not just for the potential offensive production he can bring, but also for the special team stuff so let's really then turn it to our look ahead and the matchup with these kansas city chiefs that again will be at now the coliseum which it's a a marquee matchup home home game (laughs) yes it's a marquee matchup between two real powerhouse offenses you said it was an offense versus offense game it really is yeah and you know it's not that there's not going to be any kind of level of defense because i think a, you're going to see guys be really motivated to get takeaways. It's going to be, to me, the same kind of game that it was in New Orleans, right? The, yeah. If a team can get a takeaway and you get on the board with that takeaway, then that could be the difference. And yeah. that, to me, is what this game is going to look like. Yeah, and, you know, I to me, I would say when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, right, you know, 76% success rate when he's scrambling for, like, so, I mean, he's, he's buying himself time. Mm-hmm. He's finding the time to then make those throws anyway, but I think we just have to pressure him as much as possible yeah. so that he doesn't have the success rate that he's having. Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier in, in the show. The Patrick Mahomes has only had two games this season where he has not thrown for over for 300. 300 yards, Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous, and it's why he is the leader probably in the clubhouse for that MVP award. I mean, his numbers are outstanding. 3,150 um, yards passing, 31 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Uh, you know, he's averaging 9.1 yards per attempt the, the numbers are just off the charts and that's why the Kansas City Chiefs have been able to really take a step forward when I think people probably thought they wouldn't after Alex Smith left in the offseason you know do you think because Patrick Holmes being in his first season is something to be compared to like a Dak Prescott you saw Dak have such a successful uh first year to a point and then in like week 11 week 12 it was like what happened to Dak Prescott? But, like, maybe defense has started to figure him out, right? Like, with Patrick Mahomes, he's having just an incredible season. But at some point, now you've got 10 games of film on him where, you know, defenses begin to adjust. And what better defense to adjust than a Wade Phillips, right? Right, right. I, I think that's an interesting question because, I mean, at that point, Dak Prescott really was a rookie. And, like, the difference here is Mahomes did have that year to sit and learn under sure. Alex Smith. But I think also you've got – a guy who's probably a better innovator when it comes to scheme 
in Andy Reid than maybe you had um, with Linehan in, mm-hmm. in Dallas. But also, I, there's only so many ways you can adjust to speed, right? Sure. And that's what Tyreek Hill has. And so he's so fast that it just becomes that much more of a problem when that dude is running down the field because he's so fast. You just <laughs> they, they, He's a problem for everybody. And yeah. I know that there's going to be at least one or two plays where it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting tweets, I mean, during the game. It's going to be, oh, my gosh, why can't, why can't we cover Tyreek Hill? Like, dude, dude nobody no can, can cover. Right, exactly. It's the same thing when you talk about Alvin Kamara. Nobody tackles him well. No. They just don't. Those guys are really, really special players. And when you're talking about speed, it's just – it, it's hard to stop. Yeah. I mean, I still remember that game against when they played the Chargers week one. Mm. I mean, it was insane watching. And that was one of the, the games where Patrick Mahomes did not throw for 300 yards, right. but he had four touchdowns. And it right. was like, I mean, I and I remember that game specifically because I was taking notes on both teams. I was like, oh, this will be so exciting when we actually face the Chiefs later on in the season. And, you know, obviously the Chargers being in L.A. But, yeah, I mean, they're – with Patrick Mahomes and their offense, it will, I agree with you, be an offense versus offense game. Uh, again, the, the thing about it is going to be can you get the takeaway, right? Because Patrick Mahomes has thrown interceptions. He had a string of five straight games with the pick that just got broken last week against the Arizona Cardinals. We're uh, watching that game. There were a couple of times where he could have gotten picked off. They didn't make the plays. But at the same time, when you again, when you have those pick opportunities, you've got to be able to capitalize on them because if you don't, then Kansas City is just going to get back on the field and make you pay. Isn't it that the learnings that we had from the Saints, right, for yeah. us? Like, again, what do we do with those takeaways? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if you get in a situation where you get the ball in the red zone and you, you don't get it, you, right. you, you have to be able to, to score those points in those situations. You can't settle for field goals against this team. I mean, that's the thing, right? You, It's almost the same thing, like you're saying, against the Saints. These are the three top scoring teams in the league right now. So you have to be able to hold them to field goals and not touchdowns yes. if you're a defense because you got to know, okay, they're going to get theirs. They're going to get yards. But once you get down into that condensed area, the defense has to be able to stand firm and make sure that they're not doing anything that would allow touchdowns. Yeah, and, I, you know, actually going back to, um, I think you guys were flying, but the Kansas City game against New England, yeah. I mean, that – I mean, how impressive was Patrick Mahomes in that game facing Tom Brady? But again, that score was 40 to 43. 40, yeah, yeah. yeah, 43 to 40. I mean, they hung in there, right? And so, I, again, I actually see that as sort of a close game to, to us as well. Yeah. Like two high-powered offense teams going against each other, high scoring. But, again, which is why, to me, I'm like, we need to put as much pressure as we can on Mahomes our, obviously, our secondary needs to make sure that we are tight. And and, and you, you were talking about Sam Shields and how he will step up, you know, in this game as well. Yeah, I, I would expect to see Sam Shields in um, especially maybe a little bit more than we've seen him on defense yeah. in the last couple of weeks. What's been interesting is that when the Rams get to third down, and so those are those known passing situations yeah. on defense, he comes in as more of that outside corner. So you, Troy Hill has been usually the first second down guy. And then when it's more of a passing situation, Sam Shields comes in, and then he's defending the pass. I think when you look at the way the Rams tried to defend uh, against the Seahawks last week, specifically Tyler Lockett, a lot of those times in those third down situations, Shields was on Lockett because Shields has that kind of – Shields has speed. Yeah. And there aren't too many people who can keep up with somebody like a Tyreek Hill. I don't know how successful Sam Shields is going to be at it, but I think (laughs) – 
because he's one of your fastest guys on defense, that's the guy that you're going to have to try, especially when Hill lines up in that slot, man. Like you saw last week that they lined him up in the slot, got him against a linebacker for Arizona's defense, and that is a matchup nightmare. Right, mismatch. Yeah. That's, how, that's how they got into the end zone for one of those Tyreek Hill touchdowns because, like, and I remember saying this to our staff writer, Clarence, when we were watching the game um, in the press box before Rams-Seattle kicked off, it's like, dude, if you have – Tyreek Hill on a linebacker in that situation in the red zone, you've got to call timeout. Yeah, you do. <laughs> because you know you've, you've already lost before the play even begins. You're not going to write what's going to happen at that point. Exactly. Right? You know, so nothing, nothing good for the defense probably. So no. those are the kinds of things you've got to look at, um, for, at least from a defensive standpoint when you're talking about Kansas City. Um, from the offensive standpoint, you look at Kansas City's defense, they're number one in the league in sacks. They've gotten 31 sacks. And so that is something that the Rams are definitely going to have to be able to hold up yes yes for sure because they're they're really good at just coming off the edge and making sure that you don't get exactly what you want especially in third down situations yeah um well thankfully uh Whitworth and Sully and Saffold look healthy and ready to go and they've got their Colorado lungs yes (laughs) to get some extra energy in but that's the that's the thing I think you know you you try to get every edge you can right and like if you're here this week then hopefully that does help you against a guy like D Ford who leads that team with nine sacks number 55 coming off the edge Chris Jones is another guy who's done a great job for him with seven sacks and then Alan Bailey is up the middle a lot of the time um, as a defensive tackle so they've got a lot of options that they can use to get after the passer and that I think you know we've seen the Rams do a pretty good job throughout the course of the year of of protecting Jared Goff. Yeah. You know, especially considering where they've been in the past in terms of protecting him. I'm thinking really of his rookie year, not last year. Mm-hmm. But he right now has been able to have time. He's been able to survey the field. And Kansas City's defense is not necessarily known for giving up a, not a lot of yards, you know, or not a lot of points. But when they get their opportunities to rush the passer, they do it, and they do it very, very well. So you have to stay in those third and manageable situations so that your playmakers like Todd Gurley, like Robert Woods, like Brandon Cooks, like the two tight ends in Higby and then Everett, they can all make those plays as well. Yeah, maybe we get some more two-point conversions out there too, like as many times that we can just get those extra points wherever we can see them. I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's something you do because if you're going against Kansas City, you you got to figure that this is going to be a high-scoring game. Totally. The over under on this game right now is 63 and a half points which is astronomical what yeah oh my yes so basically i mean you're thinking that this could be you know a a game where these two teams may score up to 40 points each which is what happened in that new england which you're right i was like that's that's exactly what happened yes exactly so it's gonna be a wild one for sure i'm really looking forward to la fans come to the coliseum cheer on your uh your rams who We've had a, a very wild week, so yes. to say the least. Um, yes. And so I think I do, you know, going back to where we started, like being here in Colorado, it's been beautiful and a calm place to kind of readjust, get focused, realign ourselves, and then go back home in front of L.A. fans to, you know, take on the Chiefs. Yeah, let's, let's get a win for sure, a Monday night football, go into the bye 10-1, and one, and perhaps – even clinch a division title. We'll see what happens tomorrow night with Green Bay and also Seattle. But if Green Bay comes in and they defeat Seattle, if the Rams win on Monday night football, that means they are NFC West champions already. And we're still basically in mid-November. How about that? I like that. 
I like the sound of that too. All right, everybody, <laughs> so thanks so much for tuning into this edition of Between the Horns. Be sure to check out therams.com for all the information you need in terms of tickets, parking passes, everything like that will be on therams.com for this upcoming game against Kansas City at the LA Coliseum on Monday Night Football. For Serena Morales, I'm Miles Simmons. Have a great one, everybody. Hey.